This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Ben Sears at Ben Sears on Letterboxd. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic via genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find more of our work at ObsessiveViewer.com, and you can also like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer. Yeah, and also... Uh, I gotta adjust my mic. And also, if you want to support us on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer, where at the minimum rate of $1 per month, you get access to exclusive RSS feed with content recorded exclusively for Patreon supporters. <laughs> and, uh, at the $5 level, you get that plus commentary tracks. And at the $10 level, you get all of that plus, uh, early access to content and uh lost episodes so uh check that out at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer i am one of your aforementioned hosts matt hurt and with me today as just mentioned is ben (laughs) uh a recurring co-host and contributor to the website uh ben how is it going this evening fantastic how nice. are you? I am doing well. Um, we are here to continue our ongoing odyssey through the Ebert's Great Movies list. Um, we are, this is, this will be our ninth and tenth reviews of movies from the something like 374, <laughs> uh, stacked list. Um, baby steps. Yes. Um, and I know we had mentioned, that like the last episode we do of that or the last review from that series will should be the last movie that he reviewed, which was uh the Terrence Malick movie. I can't oh, remember. Yeah. To the Wonder. Uh-huh. I think. Um but like uh when we do these episodes, I usually wait until the last minute and then I look up like the list and then I'll try to figure out what I want to pick for the next episode. So like I was toying with it a little bit and like I was tweaking the list. I was sorting it through like sorting it by like the highest average rating, the most popular movie, all that stuff. And I looked (laughs) out of curiosity. I was like, Oh, maybe I should do like the lowest, the lowest rated movies. (laughs) Yeah. And I may, we may have talked about this before in a previous, in a previous installment, but the two lowest rated ones by far are, um, <laughs> would, would make an interesting, an interesting episode for these two would be Triumph of the Will and The Birth of a Nation. <laughs> oh boy. So that would be something. Oh yeah. You might have to find some other, uh, co-hosts to, uh, yeah. Do that. Yeah, that's why I say we should save that for last. And if we don't get to it, we don't get to it. <laughs> I'm trying to make some kind of a Trump's America joke or oh, something. Yeah. <laughs> the last days of Trump. Yeah. Knock on wood, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> um because as it stands right now, today is what, December third, and he has not conceded the election. Nope. And he will not. Because that's where we're at. Um, so yeah, so that's what's on the docket today. We're going to be reviewing 
1991's JFK by Oliver Stone and 2001's Mulholland Drive by David Lynch. So I'm looking forward to talking to you about these two movies, especially because, uh, to kind of tease it a little bit, I feel like this is, this might be the first time that we have like, uh, a certain type of approach to talking about them, maybe, <laughs> at least on one side. <laughs> so. Yeah. I think it'll be an interesting discussion. Uh, yeah, it'll be uh I I have a feeling it'll be a departure from past installments. I agree. However, we do have some housekeeping and some news to go through. Big news. Uh, before that, big news. Um yeah, uh big big news. Pizza's still a pretty kitty. Um, she, my cat, Pizza Roll. Um, the lamestream media won't go telling that. Yes. The liberal news media is not <laughs> going to cover. Why is no one covering that pizza's a good kitty? Um, even though she, the, uh, uh, yeah, this is going to be a tangent, but, um, do you have cats? Yeah. Yes. Do they, do they spray fart poop? I don't think so. Okay. Because apparently my cat, and I've heard from friends who have cats, at least one of them has cats that does this, but like when she's frightened or when she is being moved off of a surface that she's not supposed to be on, but she still goes on, even though she knows that it makes me mad because I'm trying to work, <laughs> but it's my desk. Yeah. But, um, uh, if I, if I, if I I don't grab her, but like when I when I try to move her, sometimes she will do the little meow thing, but also she will fart spray poop pellets, like hmm. little droplets that stink so bad. Oh. So yeah, it's terrible. Uh no, thank God. Okay. Uh never had to deal with that. Ugh. My cat's broken. Um, <laughs> but like, I bring that up because I've been working from home and I just got like my, uh, I actually got like my desks set up to my liking, uh, recently. And so I've been working at my actual desk instead of on this crappy ass, uh, couch. So when I'm doing that, she crawls on the, de- on, she walks onto the desk and she like tries to like get in my way. And like, she tries to like lay down in places that she's not comfortable laying down in. So like, I'll, I'll try to move her, but I'll like, know. I'll know that this is something that she does. So I'll be very, very cautious too. Cause I don't want to have to smell it and clean it and all that mm-hmm. while I'm working. I don't know. Anyway, this, I don't might get really cut out of the episode. <laughs> um, I don't so know yeah. why. Yeah. I, well, <laughs> yeah, it's par for the course. <laughs> so anyway, Tangent over. We have news to go through. Um, I wanted to bring up this first one before we get to the to the kind of big the, to the to the industry news that happened today. Um, but did you see that uh, it, uh, the the news about Elliot Page? Yes, trans non-binary uh, came out uh, as trans non-binary and everything. Um, so. He's now known as Elliot Page. Um, Netflix supports supports this and is going to is changing the um, credits to mm-hmm. all of his movies and stuff. So, how did you feel about this news and everything? And did the internet piss you off about it at all? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I I don't have Twitter, and this is mm-hmm. one of the instances where I'm glad that I don't. Nice. Um, 
And I very rarely read comments on news stories. Mm -hmm. And this is another reason why. I really Uh, need to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, good for him. Yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah. Um, I, it's, I, I don't watch the Umbrella Academy. My wife does. Mm-hmm. So, uh, from what she has told me, it sounds like it doesn't really change his character in that show right. very much at all. So, um, yeah. Yeah. The thing, the reason that I kind of bring it up is like, I do read the comments sometimes just because I want to be reminded how shitty and terrible the world is. <laughs> Um, why wouldn't you? Yeah, it's just, it's so, it just pisses me off. Like there, there were two types of comments that I saw that was like widespread and everything like across, it wasn't like one person said this one joke or anything, but on one hand, just the, just the cheap shot, transphobic joking Mm -hmm. and derisive comments about, about uh trans lives and everything is just so boring and hateful and yeah. like so casually hateful and like it pisses me off so like i posted um a a thing where i was just like how imagine being so insecure and being so uh how did i phrase it i don't know it just it pissed me off so much <laughs> um Imagine being so shitty and insecure or edgy, but that's really just the same thing, that you have to go out of your way to make a derisive comment on social media about an actor coming out as trans slash non-binary. I don't see why people, why some people are so threatened by other people's life experiences just because they don't match their own. Good for Elliot for coming out. Their statement is really powerful and heartfelt. And I'm so glad that I didn't get any pushback on social media about that because I was just, because I can see because like the comments were just like oh well i'm i'm trans vehicular and i yes. identify as a truck or something it's like okay right um it's the it's oh, fuck it's so uh, agitating but the thing that like that those types of comments which if people are like well you do oh, why are people so sensitive and everything it's like okay well because that like it's not being overly sensitive of it it's like these are like truly like bigoted and hateful comments about people that are not, that do not have the same life experiences that you, that you do there. You are making jokes about people because they are different from you. And those jokes are normalized in an online community that Mm -hmm. creates a, um, a dynamic between, like groups of people groupthink that creates a vitriolic and dangerous atmosphere and world for people that are subject to attacks and and hateful rhetoric and stuff just because of who they are like right. it's just it's it's fucking annoying yeah i yeah. i don't have any stats or anything in front of me but i know like the trans community is so much more at risk of mm-hmm. violence than uh, many other groups, and black trans uh, people are even more at risk. Yeah, and, like Laverne Cox just is, had like an Instagram story or something about that. I don't remember what it what it was, but yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. 
Um, but yeah, and and the other kind of comment that I saw, by the way, I'm <laughs> I do have some stats here uh, for in just a second, but another comment that I another string of comments or or whatever was why is this news like who cares what why is this news and stuff it's like okay just because it's not it doesn't affect your life right <laughs> does not mean that it is not newsworthy yeah really. like first of all as a piece of entertainment news it is newsworthy because it is a piece of entertainment news and everything yeah. but also it is newsworthy because elliot's statement includes it like this was a very powerful statement and everything and i was very impressed by it but I'm going to read a chunk of it for the people who think that it's, oh, it's not newsworthy. Like, why is it news or whatever? Um, And I quote, I also ask for patience. My joy is real, but it is also fragile. The truth is, despite feeling profoundly happy right now and knowing how much privilege I carry, I am also scared. I'm scared of the invasiveness, the hate, the jokes and of violence. To be clear, I am not trying to dampen a moment that is joyous and one that I celebrate, but I want to address that full the full picture. The statistics are staggering. The discrimination towards trans people is rife, insidious and cruel, resulting in horrific consequences. In 2020 alone, it has been reported that at least 40 transgender people have been murdered, the majority of which were black or Latin trans women, uh, Latinx trans women. To the political leaders who work to criminalize trans health care and deny our right to exist, and to all those with a massive platform who continue to spew hostility towards the trans community, you have blood on your hands. Um, and it goes on. So um, that's why it's newsworthy. <laughs> like, it right. is raising awareness to something that is a problem, <laughs> like, that, it, that needs awareness toward it. So... I don't know. It just kind of it kind of bugs me as the internet usually does. <laughs> so yeah, but good for Elliot Page. Um, yeah, yeah. Glad there's going to be more trans representation in Hollywood. Oh, yep. Me too. Me too. <sighs> okay. So so yeah. Um, soapbox stepping off of it now. <laughs> uh, the other piece of news. This news broke today. Then I don't have the stuff right in front of me, but uh, let me pull that up here. I should have it very close by. Oh, oh boy. Let's see. Ingredients for hot Dr. Pepper. Um. <laughs> here we go. Uh, okay. I Do you want me to read it? Yeah, yeah, if you want to. Okay, sure. so the, the headline is Warner Brothers to release all of its... 2021 movies on HBO Max and theaters simultaneously, <sighs> which means Warner Brothers, the, the company that owns HBO mm-hmm. and HBO Max, is going. So they're they're already before today they were already going to be doing this for Wonder Woman, right? 1984. It's going to come out on Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. So now they're just going to expand that to every Warner Brothers movie. That's coming out in 2021. Throughout all of 2021. Yeah. That. And at, at least as of right now, it's only 2021. Right. Uh, who knows if that will be extended. Mm. But those, uh, the Warner Brothers movies, just to give everyone a reference, mm. Dune, um, the, the Matrix 4. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the next Space Jam movie, <laughs> uh, the next Mortal Kombat movie, 
Godzilla versus Kong um, in the Heights. Yeah. The uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda movie. Uh, Suicide Squad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Godzilla versus Kong. Did you say that one? Yeah, I think okay. so. Um, there's also apparently a Tom and Jerry movie. Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. How do you feel about this news? Uh, not good. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, I know that it's just HBO's way of trying to get more subscribers mm-hmm. and that's fine. Yeah. Um, I, I do kind of like that there's, there is one caveat. These, uh, movies that are coming to HBO max will only be there for one month while they are still in the theaters technically. Um, and then just after that, they'll just, they'll be gone until the regular, you know, VOD release or whatever. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, it's, it just, well, I mean, why would people be going to the theaters when they can just, yeah. And I mean, especially with the one month window thing for that, like that, I mean, that is obviously very geared toward getting new subscribers to HBO max. Yeah. Like, okay, you have one month to watch this movie and then it's gone, but it's still in theaters and everything. Like I, I get that. Um, it makes me a little uneasy. Um, there was a statement from someone higher up in there saying that it is just a temporary thing, that this is just something that they're doing for 2021 because, even with the uh, vaccine and everything, it's going to be a while before theaters get back up on their feet. Yeah. Um, and like, I can kind of buy into that. I can kind of buy that, um, that, uh, theory, I guess. Yeah. Um, but also just, I feel like that could make it a little harder to get movie theaters back right. on their feet but, when the time comes. But like, of those movies that I listed, like how many of those will still be even in the before times, Mm -hmm. how many of those would still be in the movie theaters after a month? I mean, yeah. Dune, the matrix Mm. four, um, Godzilla versus Kong. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most movies, they fade out after like, three weeks or so. Yeah, that's true. Uh, And that was, you know, Hmm. like I said, even before all of this, Hmm. when people were still going to the theater and weren't worried about, you know, dying. Yeah. (laughs) That, that whole thing. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, that does make sense. And especially, so say hypothetically that the vaccine comes out and everything gets relaxed and everything and, and theaters open back up. There's more confidence in taking like having, you know, wide releases in theaters and everything. So even if it is, uh, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> even if that's the case, it's also going to be competing with, in in the per, in a perfect world everything will be fine and and there will be a massive just um 
surplus of movies in theaters at all times (laughs) because they have to release these movies from that were pushed from this this year into next year um oh god that would be so amazing but um, (laughs) but i don't know i kind of feel like this is a dangerous precedent even if it's temporary because i wonder like is disney going to do the same thing yeah yeah because disney has soul coming out in a couple weeks on christmas on disney plus they already played with the idea of premium video on demand with with Mulan. Are like, is this going to be the watershed thing for exhibitors and for for distributors? Right. That like, is Disney going to be like, okay, well, we're go we'll go ahead and release all of our stuff on Disney Plus also. Right. Um, and I mean, yeah. That I mean, Disney is almost the the biggest reason for people to go to theaters anymore to see the freaking marvel movies Mm -hmm. and the pixar movies yeah um so i i hope that more more distributors don't do that yeah um the other thing that i'm afraid of is like uh I think it was just AMC that did this when uh when trolls decided to just go straight to VOD oh, yeah. uh and they said like we're not going to show any what, what was it universal Yeah like they they tried to do like a the universal boycott or yeah. something like that I I That's hope that they're not going to do anything like that with with uh Warner Brothers or yeah. any of those Oof. Um uh, yeah, I mean, at this point, I'm sure they'll just take whatever they can get, but right. uh, I'm sure they're not too happy with this. No, I think the CEO of AMC actually al- already made a statement about it, saying like, yeah, this is uh, not cool, right. Warner Brothers. Not, not cool, cool, bro. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, Adam... Aaron. <sighs> yeah, he said uh, AMC boss Adam Aaron slams Warner Brothers HBO Max 2021 theatrical window concept. Uh, studio sacrificing considerable profit. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he said... Uh, he said, these coronavirus-impacted times are uncharted waters for all of us, which is why AMC signed up to an HBO Max exception to cus- uh, customary practices for one film only, Wonder Woman in 1984. This is a long thing. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, we'll see what happens, I guess. Now, I, I will go on the record and say, like, as, as of course, assuming that it's safe, mm-hmm. I will 100% go and see Dune in the movie theater. Oh, yeah. I don't want to see that at home first. Mm-hmm. At least not not the first time. Right. I don't want to see The Matrix 4 at home the first time. Yeah. I would love to see that in the theater. Mm-hmm. So uh, even if this this window is still a thing and it's safe, I'll be going to the theater to see all the yeah. – like, not obviously not every single one of the Warren Brothers movies, right. but you know I'll I'll go and see In the Heights. I'll see mm-hmm. Dune. I'll see The Matrix. I'll see. Uh, I don't know about Space Jam. Yeah. <laughs> that might yeah. be where I draw the line, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, where you draw the foul line. 
Uh, sure. <laughs> you might bounce your way out of saying that one. <laughs> Although, you know, I, I think I've, I'm sure I've said this before on the podcast. Mm. My five-year-old loves the Looney Tunes uh, uh, episodes on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure if, if I tell him, hey, there's a new Looney Tunes movie out, he, he will 100% want to go and see that. Nice. So. Yeah, yeah. I just, it's, it's, I just had this thought, like, I haven't had this thought this year. Well, not really, but I just realized that if and when things get better and the world gets back to normal, I'm kind of eager to see how many, and this is more just a personal, like, stats thing. I'm very eager to see how many movies I can see in the theater mm-hmm. the first, like, full year back at the, at the movie theater. Um, because I'm going to be so just like, I'm going to be craving that so much that I feel like I, it'll be, I'll see a lot more without getting burnout than I would have previously, which I have a pretty high tolerance for that. (laughs) So it'll be interesting. Yeah. Mm. You know, that, that kind of pivots me because I was going to ask you this before all this news came out. So uh, I saw on the news, I think it was yesterday, uh, the one of the timetables, the potential timetables for a vaccine mm-hmm. would be like December 15th for one of them and maybe this 22nd for another one. So say they come out with a vaccine and it's totally safe and you're willing to get it and President Donald J. Trump calls you up and says, Matt, take the vaccine. It's okay. You can be first in line. (laughs) So you go and get the vaccine. How quickly after that are you going to the movie theater? Like, are you going to go on Christmas Day and see uh, Uh, Wonder Woman and whatever else is out there? Honestly, maybe. Yeah. Even if, because to be honest, here's my kind of whole thing about this. First of all, in that scenario, (laughs) I think I would be delayed because I would have a lot of things to say in response to that to Donald Trump on the phone. Um, Okay, maybe maybe let's amend that. Say Dr. Fauci calls you. Okay, okay, yeah. Someone who knows what they're talking about. (laughs) Right, right. Um like it'll be it would be a hard task but if Donald Trump asked me I would want to make sure that I try to make him cry um but anyway uh you know so I was thinking about this today cuz I was curious when with this news hit about Warner Brother or Warner Media and HBO Max and all that um I looked on cuz I don't have the AMC app on my phone anymore and AMC actually um sent a revised email to the A-list members and, and Stubbs members uh, like a month or so ago saying that, cause when they, when they reopened back in, I think August mm-hmm. um, they said, so here's the deal. A-list, you can still stay. You can, you can either rejoin A-list or we'll ha- we'll have it be um, still postponed. So you won't, or you still won't get charged for it. But if whenever you feel safe enough or comfortable enough to go back to the theater, just reactivate it, but you have until December 31st. And if you don't uh, reactivate in December 31st, then, you know, it'll be canceled. And then, you know, you'll be prone to any like increased charges or something like that. Um, 
But they sent a revised email since the world is still on fire um, saying that, okay, well, we've extended that to March. So (laughs) if by March, you know, then we'll do that. But anyway, so I don't have the app on my phone anymore, but I looked on their website and I was like, I'm just curious how many, like, just purely out of curiosity, like how many seats are available? How many seats are reserved for uh, Freaky? Like a 7.30 p.m. screening of Freaky today, Thursday night, um, at the AMC I go to. And it's like three seats in the entire auditorium. And then I checked a couple of other ones. And it's like one here, two here, four here, or whatever. And so my kind of position is that at this point, I'm... I'm less, uh, I don't, I wouldn't, wouldn't say I'm less afraid of ca- catching COVID because I am afraid of catching COVID because right. I don't know how I'll react to it. I don't know what long-term effects it'll have. And also it'll fuck me up with work. Um, so all of that, but I think in the context of going to a movie theater and sitting in a seat for two hours with a mask on watching a movie, I like, all told, I would feel pretty safe doing that now. My issue is I wouldn't feel comfortable for the two weeks it would take for me to like notice like, okay, I don't have any symptoms. I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> like the peace of mind of, of that. So if I were to get a vaccine and like that would at least quell that like anxiety part of my brain, especially when the theaters aren't that, you know, occupied or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I I don't know. I honestly at this point I, I it probably is safe for me to go back to the movie theater since I pretty much share the same amount of space with people at work now when yeah. I work in the office. Mm-hmm. Um although I did have there's one guy which I mean, I'm going to sound like a dick. <laughs> Bless his heart. Um <laughs> an older guy that works in 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 the office that I work in, he his heart was in the right place and Hey, more power. Like this is a super nice gesture. Can't say this enough, but also a little tone deaf. He was going around with a bag of, uh, like, uh, lollipops or like, uh, suckers. And he was offering them to people like, Oh, Hey, you want, you want a sucker or whatever. And I'm like, I'm like, no, thanks. I'm good. And in my head, I'm like, how many people have reached into there? Like, like I just like, I, so I don't know. How, what's your comfort level with, with all of that, with the theater and everything? Um, you know, once, I mean, neither of us are going to be the first in line to get the vaccine. Right. Um, that's just how it's going to work. Um, so, I mean, going to see Wonder Woman, I mean, after that, what else? Is there coming out? I mean, yeah, I, that's that's mostly what I was thinking about. Um, there's what is it is, that's coming out in April? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I feel like once the vaccine comes out, I will be less hesitant. I feel like I'll. I'll be okay going to the movies again. Yeah. Once the vaccine comes out. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, me. That's, that's how vaccines work. Right. <laughs> so I've been told. Yep. 
Um, well, I've learned some other things about vaccines thanks to oh, yeah. Facebook. Yeah. So I'll tell you about it off mic. <laughs> All of our <laughs> friends from high school that yes. uh, are certified doctors yep. and immunologists. Uh, yeah, that just, that reminds me of, um, like, I don't know, just some of the stuff that I, uh, have seen in life. Um, uh, some of that, like people talking about how, um, uh, yeah, it's a tangent of course, but some of the, some of the stuff like people saying like, Oh, so you're going to listen to Dr. Fauci. Like he, he, he said he just said the other day this is months ago he just said the other days that ideally you would wear goggles to protect your your eyes are you gonna <laughs> listen to them it's like yeah he's <laughs> he's the fucking leading person and that like he's an expert on on this th- on this thing like he, he is an expert yeah i knew you in high school dude <laughs> like <laughs> i just i uh, i just i don't know so yeah so we'll see it'll be it'll be a triumph Hopefully, whenever we do get back into the theater, but yeah, yeah, yeah. At least we have some options now with home release. So I guess. Having said that, are you still going to get Disney Plus for Soul? I guess. Yeah. Uh, unless there's some other way I can get it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I still want to see Hamilton, so yes. I may. Though, like, I'll watch those two and then cancel it. I don't right. Know. <laughs> uh, no, I, yeah, I'll, I'll probably still get it. Nice. Um, I, uh, oh, was the movie that's coming out in April, No Time to Die? Yeah. Yeah. That would be it. Yep. I'm just looking at all the releases. God, I just, I want things to go back to normal. <laughs> um, yeah, so that, that'll, uh, yeah, uh, that'll, that'll, uh, that'll be interesting. Um, Okay, so that'll do it for news, and I think we're going to go ahead and jump into our uh, featured segment on this episode of The Obsessive Viewer. Um, it's part five of our part five of our Ebert's Great Movies List uh, review series. Here is the stinger for that segment. No name is more synonymous with film criticism than Roger Ebert's. Even now, my voice is reaching millions throughout the world. Millions of despairing men, women, and children. People say, do film critics have too much power? For those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. We can help a movie. We can help a movie by sharing our enthusiasm. We can't necessarily hurt a movie that is destined to be a big hit anyway. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. And then, why did you get some? I uh, find very offensive and condescending about your statement. There's nobody would say to a bunch of white filmmakers, how could you do this to your people? Let us all unite! All right, so, um, if this is your first time listening to this... uh series of episodes on the podcast. Um, the concept is that Ben and I each select a single movie from Roger Ebert's great movies list and review slash discuss them in a special series of podcast episodes. Um, the kind of quote that embodies the idea of the Ebert's great movies list is from Roger Ebert himself, in which he says, quote, one of the gifts a movie lover can give another is the title of a wonderful film they have not yet discovered. Here are more than 300 reconsiderations and appreciations of movies from the distant past to the recent past. All of all of movies that I consider worthy of being called great. So uh, this time around, we... Uh, I think I selected JFK and Ben, you selected Mulholland Drive. And uh, what we usually do is we go 
chronologically by release date. So this time, uh, JFK was the first one uh, as it was released in 1991. So, uh, Ben, are you ready to talk about JFK? I'm more than ready. All righty. So I chose JFK on a whim, sort of. I think I always say that, but <laughs> I, I picked it mostly because it was like right around election time. And, uh, you know, I, I've never seen it. So I was, I was curious to check it out. I'm, as far as Oliver Stone is concerned, I have really only seen Snowden and I'm blanking on any others. I, hmm. I know that he's kind of a unique voice, but, um, yeah, you could say that. Yeah. Um, uh, natural born killers. Never saw it. Really? Um, yeah. Never. Oh, I saw Platoon. Okay. Um, but it's been a long time ago since I've seen Platoon. Um, let's see. Um, never saw Savages. Oh, oh I saw W in World Trade Center. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> in any given Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, I've, I've seen some of his movies. It just never really left that strong of an impression on me or I watched them back when I was young and before I really developed, uh, any real taste in movies. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I know that he's kind of an acquired taste, um, in a little bit. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, um, controversial, I guess. Um, yeah. Polarizing. Polarizing. There you go. Mm -hmm. Um, Ben, what's your history with JFK? And, uh, yeah. Uh, never saw it. Um, yes. I I'm looking through here to see which stone movies I have seen okay. and I have also seen Platoon. Mm -hmm. It's been a little while since I have seen that but I liked it. Uh Natural Born Killers hated that. Oh, interesting. Um Saw World Trade Center. Mm -hmm. Uh long time ago and I yeah. Just like you, I mean, that was before I had any kind of opinion on right. what was good and not. Um, I saw Savages a couple weeks ago, and that was oh, wow. also terrible. Huh. Um, I meant to watch, or I wanted to watch at least, like, uh, Wall Street or... Um, uh, what's the other one? He's got a couple that are on streaming. Mm. Or I, I kind of wanted to see W just, okay. to, um, just to get a little more of an informed opinion. But, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, I, I had never seen JFK. Didn't even really know what it was about. I kind of figured, you know, he did one about Nixon and, mm -hmm. and W, and those were more kind of straightforward biographical movies from what I have heard. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of figured that was kind of what we were in for with this, but I mm -hmm. was totally and completely wrong. <laughs> that is really interesting. Um, that, wow. So you didn't, you didn't know that it was about the conspiracy and all that. Um, 
I feel like I've heard people talk about it kind of in roundabout ways, but nothing, okay. no, no, like plot specifics. Okay, and uh, just to bring us into the actual movie, I forgot to read the plot summary. Uh, JFK, directed by Oliver Stone from 1991. The plot summary is: This acclaimed Oliver Stone drama presents the investigation into the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, led by New Orleans. District Attorney Jim Garrison. When Garrison begins to doubt conventional thinking on the murder, he faces government restricted uh, government resistance. And after the killing of suspected assassin Lee Harvey Oswald, he closes the case. Later, however, Garrison reopens the investigation, finding evidence of an extensive conspiracy behind Kennedy's death. Um. So yeah. So I hadn't seen either. I, I knew um, that it was about the conspiracy and everything. The, mm-hmm. the most um, I knew more about the feel of it through pop culture references. Okay. Um, so there's an episode of Seinfeld where uh, they basically riff on this. They do like a parody of this with Kramer and Newman who Wayne Knight is in the movie. It's funny enough mm-hmm. um, where they, <laughs> they're talking. Uh, it's when, it's when Jerry is friends with Keith Hernandez, the baseball player, and Kramer and uh, Newman have this weird thing where they they think he spit on them or something, <laughs> or he thinks they spit on him or something uh-huh. like that. And so they do like a whole thing where it's like where they they're trying to figure out like what exactly happened, where the spit came from. It's it's a whole riff on the Zapruder film and everything okay. and that whole moment in the movie. Okay. Um so I knew that and that's about it. Um by the way, should we should we say we're going to go into spoilers through for both of these movies, just blanket, or should we do non-spoiler and spoiler? Is there much to spoil with JFK? With JFK, no. With Mulholland Drive, yes. Oh yeah. Um, we'll get to that when we get to it. But let's say, let's just go ahead and say we're going to spoil JFK. Um, Kennedy gets assassinated. <laughs> Sorry, people. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I would say if you haven't seen it, check it out on HBO Max, but ew, not available on there anymore. <laughs> yeah, a couple of days late for that. Yeah. But you available know available to rent on VOD. There you go. Yeah. Um so so yeah, so I I didn't I had expectations for this, but also, um, it's been a while since I've seen an Oliver Stone movie, so I wasn't ex- sure exactly where to uh where where my expectations should lie with going into an Oliver Stone movie. Um watching it <laughs> watching it I had a couple of thoughts and and I think my my first thought and then we can get into like the plot mechanics and and the interpersonal dynamics and everything about it but my the the thing that this is a, this is like a 3 hour movie three hour, nine minute movie that yeah. cut that we saw of it. At least I think the director's cut is a lot longer, like half an hour longer. Yeah. Like I saw something on letterbox about that. Okay. And I, I don't, I was not aware that there was a different cut. Yeah. That's part of the thing that sucks about streaming mm. is you're never really sure which cut it is. Yeah. You know, I agree. I agree. But we watched the not director's cut. Yeah. Um, and so it's like three hours and nine minutes long for about two hours, about two and a half hours, right? Up until the point where we get to the big courtroom scene 
which I I love a good courtroom scene. Yeah. I really do. But up until that moment, I was going back and forth in my mind wondering does Kevin Costner know how to act? <laughs> like I cuz I like I'm aware that he that he, you know, was was a very like big actor in the 90s. And like he had like he was popular, he was famous, yeah. he was prolific and everything. He's the star of several highly acclaimed movies and stuff. But watching JFK, I'm like, the fuck is he doing? Like, <laughs> like I just I could not get into his performance at all in this movie. Hmm. Um and I think part of that is part of that is the writing, because there are moments where the the whole the whole premise is like he as as Garrison he is the audience conduit he's the person who is obsessed with the assassination he's obsessed with all the the different um the disconnected theories and he's 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 obsessed with on one hand finding the truth and he's enraged by the fact that he has been lied to as an american citizen and those are very powerful things. Those are very like, like dramatic things. Mm-hmm. But for me, the movie takes such a screeching halt any time it diverts over to his family life and his home life. And, um, I think Sissy Spacek, um, as his wife, like complaining about his obsession and everything because it just seems so, so surface level. So yeah. like, Oh, um, perfunctory. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's just like, no, I'm leaving you now. I'm going to leave you. And it's like, no, don't leave. I'm just like his, he's so wooden. Like the, the next time you see them, they're all back together. Yeah. Like nothing happened. Yeah. They're, they're in the courtroom supporting him. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And like, and they, they have like moments where it's, it's like the movie doesn't get into the family dynamic the way that it just pays lip service to it. So like there's a moment like that scene that we just, that we just, uh, uh, referenced his daughter takes a phone call. The phone rings and, uh, he, she answers the phone. It's their little daughter. And it's a guy asking her for information about her school schedule, her, and saying that she's, she's been selected to be a model and that they're going to basically telling her like they're, orchestrating a kidnapping and stuff like that. And Sissy Spacek takes the phone and yells at Kevin Costner saying like, she's, she's been threatened. Now they're threatening us at our home and all that and everything. And it's just like that, that sequence, that moment in the movie should have been a dramatic emotional moment for the family dynamic to show how much his life has changed and how, deep into his obsession that he is. Yeah. But in instead of showing it to us, he just performs it and the script calls for him to perform it as a like he casts it aside. It's like, oh well though, no, that's nothing. There's it's just a current call and everything. And it's like that's one way to go about that. <laughs> but it does not provide the emotional crux that that dramatic moment should have, in my opinion. Right. Um and that's indicative of every single scene with him and his family and all that. It's more that he's like, it's her telling him that she's obsessed. It's him telling her that she, that he is obsessed with this. And it's not, 
anything below that surface level thing. And that just really, really stuck in my craw. Yeah. Um, how did you feel about that aspect of the movie? Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think there's an easier way to do that. And it's like, um, to, to show that he's obsessed and he, that this case is just overtaking his life. Mm. And it's like, anytime anyone references like, Oh, it's 1966 or it's 1968 or mm. whatever. And it's just like, when you think about that, like he's been obsessing over this for four or five, six years or whatever. Yeah. I think that courtroom scene takes place in what, 69? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he's, he's been doing this for six years of his life and just yeah. something simple like knowing that is, is, enough to show that you know that he is he's in too deep with this stuff mm -hmm. and it's it's been a long time since i've seen it but from what i remember there was a, a really effective way to do this in the movie the david fincher's movie zodiac oh yeah where uh i think it's jake gyllenhaal's character mm -hmm. who just becomes obsessed with the zodiac case mm -hmm. and if i remember right he has a wife and a kid or something yeah and uh, yeah. he he like devotes all of his life to this case and just neglects his family and uh that was that, from what I remember, is a lot more effective way of of showing that. Yeah, yeah, I I completely agree. That man, I need to rewatch Zodiac. <laughs> yeah, I've I've been saying that for a while too. Yeah, I need to. I have only seen it the one time, but yeah, yeah, I've anyway. I've seen it a couple of times, but the and and as far as like the conspiracy side of it goes in the movie, like that. The movie makes a compelling argument for for an alternate case of of like for I I don't know because I don't know enough about like the actual like the Warren Commission report or anything yeah and I don't know like what the official thing is aside from what was detailed in uh, Stephen King's eleven twenty two sixty three but um the movie does make a compelling case given the way that it presents its conspiracy it makes a compelling case for oswald not being the gunman the the sole gunman or even the gunman and that's compelling that's interesting um but but for me it wasn't enough however i did read ebert's essay for the for the great movies essay and yeah. i pulled a quote from it that kind of that kind of kind of makes me appreciate <laughs> it doesn't make me appreciate the movie more <laughs> but it makes me appreciate people's opinion of the movie more <laughs> so if you'll indulge me i do have a quote that i would like to read from mr roger ebert read on okay um quote as a general principle i believe films are the wrong medium for fact fact belongs in print Films are about emotions. My notion is that JFK is no more or less factual than Stone's Nixon or Gandhi, Lawrence of Arabia, Gladiator, Amistad, Out of Africa, My Dog Skip, or any other movie based on quote-unquote real life. All we can reasonably ask is that it be skillfully made and seem to approach some kind of emotional truth. And he goes on in his essay to talk about how 
how he feels that JFK is a masterpiece because it captures the emotion of the people who like the American people who lived through the assassination in 1963 and the feeling of not being told everything and there being a, the truth about what happened being concealed and the idea of being lied to by your government. And he says that it's masterful that, that Oliver Stone was able to capture that emotion on film through the way that he made JFK. And that kind of leads me into the thing that I liked most about this movie or found the most resonant about the movie is that again, again, it's, it's, it's the script telling us instead of showing us it essentially. But Mm -hmm. there are several moments where Kevin Costner, Kevin Costner says how he feels betrayed and how he feels that he has been lied to by his government, by by the American government has lied to him. And he feels like that is a dangerous precedent to set. That is a dangerous thing. Like he is afraid for the future of the country when the government that is meant to, um, like the, the government officials who are meant to uphold the law and to, to guide the democracy are hiding shades of fascism and the roots of fascism within the American system and everything. And like, those ideas not to put not not to be too obvious resonated a lot <laughs> um today yeah in it, in a very unique way for me that I wasn't expecting it hits a little different in this yeah. uh late 2020 yep. post election days yep yeah yep. um yeah i i kind of had that thought as well like yeah. the uh just how how blissful it would be to live in a time when conspiracy theories actually made sense. Right. Or at least some sense. Yeah. Um <laughs> Did you did you see that that clip of the either like the 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 Trump campaign's like star witness against the uh uh I say that with quotes against the, about voter fraud that kind of went viral. Um uh, I think I saw a headline about it, but I didn't yeah. see the actual video. It's, I might pull audio and put it here, but it, essentially it's this woman who I guess was a poll worker that she is like, she is testifying or she's, she's giving her statement like in wherever and Rudy Giuliani is next to her. And she is saying that, that she, like, she's saying that, uh, I don't know, the, the kind of the root of it is that she sounds either intoxicated <laughs> or high on pills <laughs> and it's just insane like it is it is ins- i'll put a clip here of audio from this here i know for a fact there was illegal activity going on there people have pictures of people carrying ballots out of that place um, there is pictures of vans full of ballots coming out of that place. It, they took, these Democrats took every avenue possible to commit fraud in this election. The, the poll book, the poll book is completely off. Completely off. Off that by 30,000? I'd say that poll book is off by over 100,000. That how- poll book? Why don't you look at the registered voters on there? How many registered voters are on there? 
Did you do you even know the answer to that? No, no I guess it's, I'm trying to get to the bottom zero. of this here. Zero. Zero. There's zero. So, my question then is if the Guess how many wait. What about what about how what what about the turnout rate? 120%? Why we're not seeing the poll book off by 30,000 votes. That that's not the what case. What did you guys do? Take it and uh do something crazy to it? So, how many ballots would you estimate? Um yeah, and it's just it's uh it's 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 insane and like now i'm wondering like how i I wonder if the warren commission had anything like that <laughs> like some drunk woman talking uh to earl warren about the assassination yeah well i thought that the grassy no one i uh yeah i speaking of real stupid conspiracy theories mm. and just quick tangents yeah uh i did see the the newest QAnon theory uh, oh, so God. Joe Biden broke his foot and, uh, people are saying that he only is wearing a cast now because it's covering up a house arrest anklet. Oh my uh, fucking because God. Trump has arrested him. <laughs> are you, are you fucking <laughs> kidding me? I mean, prove him wrong. Matt. <laughs> Do your research, man. <laughs> And so I went, I went on down a rabbit hole of seeing, seeing, um, like a comment thread on a on a news article on Facebook. But like, the, like there was a comment thread of people saying like, "Why, why don't you do your research and everything?" And then people saying like, "Like research, like on YouTube, like or whatever." And then like the person was like, "No, no, I don't get my research there. I just I do your research. I I research on my own." Mm-hmm. And it's like, "Well, give like tell us what what is it?" And she's like, "Do your research and everything." And it's like just if I don't he- like if I don't hear that fucking phrase again. Yeah. But um but <laughs> I just I can't. I just I can't. I I can't. That's that's yeah. wait. That's god damn it. I and I had made the joke on Twitter. I had said something like um <laughs> uh don't believe the liberal news media that Biden bro- uh, hurt his ankle playing with uh playing with his dogs cuz clearly he did it by uh because he was using his foot to sweep millions of votes or millions <laughs> of ballots under the rug and everything uh wake up sheeple yeah um <laughs> but you're on to something yeah uh, did you ever watch the west wing no okay so the first episode of the West, the very first episode of the West Wing, um, all of the White House staff is being paged, um, cause like the beginning of the, the beginning of the episode is each individual one, like doing their normal life and everything and they getting a page on their beeper cause it's the nineties and like in getting messages and stuff saying like POTUS needs you or POTUS, there's something with POTUS. And then like the end of that cold open is like, uh, it's someone saying like, "Whoa, your friend POTUS has a funny name," and then he's like, "Well, it's not. It's not his name. It's his title, President of the United States." Um, and then credits. But the uh, thing—that's the pilot episode, and the whole plot is that, or the plot of that is that uh, Bartlett, the president, had uh, hurt his foot on like while by uh, uh, like on a bicycle or something. Mm-hmm. And so Bradley Whitford, who uh, was on the West Wing and everything, tweeted after Biden heard his ankle saying, like, in my experience, 
presidencies that begin with a foot injury are often pretty good. <laughs> and I was like, that's, that's cool. I, nice. that, that was pretty cool. So, um, so yeah, JFK. <laughs> so how did you feel about, uh, uh, let's see. So one of the things that I have read, like a, a bunch of people on letterbox and, uh, Ebert mentions this is the editing. In okay. JFK, and how did you feel about how that came together? You know, um, I thought it was unique. Like when the, I think Ebert references the, I think it's a restaurant restaurant scene. That scene where where they're going through, um, the different theories, or or they're going through like a timeline. I think I can't really remember. But where it's several characters at dinner at a restaurant and it's flashing back or it's flashing to f- different kind of things. That was, that was unique. That was cool. That was interesting. Mm-hmm. But that effect when, uh, when Donald Sutherland popped up and did his thing, like that's when I was like almost, I mean, I was kind of like, like I was struggling to hold my attention yeah. on it. Um, so it's a, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, how'd you feel about it? I, I didn't really notice it as well as I probably should have, but I did like how, uh, like the, all the, all the flashback scenes are in black and white. And I liked how easy it was to differentiate from that and the present day. So I liked that decision. Um, and then, like the the courtroom scene when he's explaining all the different theories, I liked how that came together visually. I mean that that can't be something that's easily done, right? Um. Uh. So I I liked that. Um. I thought uh, that was we'll we'll come back to this in a minute, but this movie won two Oscars and one of them was for best editing. Yeah. The other was for best cinematography. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think best editing, that's, that's a pretty solid, uh, pretty solid win. I, I can get on board with that. Yeah, I agree. And, and it was not even so much the, uh, making it more cohesive and coherent and everything, but just more, um, more so that it, that it was inventive, that it was, that it was, that it was unique and it wasn't, uh, with, <laughs> um, aside from the, uh, Donald Sutherland kind of excursion. Yeah. Um, it was, it was interesting to, you know, uh, watch, uh, it held my interest a bit. So the editing was good. Um, yeah. So go ahead. That that being said, I would not mind if this movie was fifteen to twenty minutes shorter. Me too. Uh, I mean, not not that it was hard to get through, but mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it's three hours and nine minutes. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. and the some of the other performances also, I, 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 I don't know if it was a '90s thing or if it was just. Some like it, they, it wasn't a uh, something that was really um, what's the word I'm looking for well, on the forefront of the production's mind. But like this, there's an incredible cast in this movie. Yeah, 
And a lot of the acting is either just mediocre or some of it just sticks out really <laughs> awkwardly. Um, Joe Pesci, that, it, first of all, the makeup effect was kind of weird, like with the eyebrows and everything. Yeah, that wig. Yes. <laughs> but like the performance, like, again, like the big moment for that character is he is freaking out. He is, this is the moment where the where where garrison's team is realizing like this is this is where they're getting like they're they're getting some headway in their investigation they actually have someone who is saying the things that they are that is that is slightly confirming some of the thing like confirming that there is something to their investigation yeah but there's little to no real reaction from them and also joe pesci's performance in that is like devoid of tension it's for for me it's just he's he's manic and he's he's panicking but it's not there's no like escalation to it there's no sense that it was set up in a way that that you know was would have been tense for me i i don't know how else to describe it did you have any problems with that or did you like it uh i kind of did like uh pesci's performance um although that being said i was massively distracted by a his wig and b his southern accent yes Um, i think to go along with your point about the supporting cast and their uh, unremarkableness i think part of that is because most of them have these ridiculous New Orleans accents. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that that doesn't totally help. Yeah. 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 But I I, yeah. I didn't mind I didn't mind Pesci's performance too much. I okay. mean he's he is just like you really get the sense in that scene when he's freaking out, you really get the sense that he is scared about something. Yeah. And that can't be easy. Yeah. It just felt to me, it just felt he's scared of something. And like the, the kind of conceit is we don't know exactly what he's scared of, or we don't know the big picture of it or, or even how real this threat right. is. If he's just like, uh, if he's on drugs or something, or if he is really like in, about to get whacked. Right. And, and that's fine, but it's not, really built up any considerable way mm-hmm. um for for my liking so yeah i don't know but speaking of accents in this movie i love john candy yeah but what the hell man <laughs> oh yeah that was uh so let's let's just go through this cast okay so you have mm-hmm. uh kevin costner you have Ed Asner doing one scene. Yeah. You have Jack Lemon doing like one or two scenes. Gary Oldman as Lee Harvey Oswald yeah. in the flashbacks. I loved him. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. He was pretty cool. Uh, Wayne Knight. Um, uh, Joe Pesci. Walter Matthau. Yeah. Um, Tommy Lee Jones. Mm-hmm. John Candy, Kevin Bacon, uh, still swirling. <laughs> um, oh, the real Jim Garrison was in this as Earl Warren. Yeah, he, yeah. Okay. 
and he I think he died shortly after the film came out, like a year within a couple of years, I think. Hmm. Uh Donald Sutherland. Let's mm-hmm. see. Is there I don't think there's anyone else. But yeah, I mean, just a crazy stacked cast. Yeah. Um just one person after another. Mm-hmm. Um did you take a look at all at the uh, Oscar nominations for this movie? I, I didn't. Okay. Um, Would you care to guess who uh, among them was nominated for uh, Best Supporting Actor? Um, You know, I'm going to guess... Let me ask this. Was there only one nomination for yeah. Supporting? Okay. Um, one acting nomination. Kevin Costner was not. Kevin Costner was not nominated? Nope. Okay. But there was a Best Actor nomination? Supporting Actor. Okay, yeah. just Supporting Actor? Okay. Um, I'm going to guess that the Best Supporting Actor nomination was to... Um, you know, uh, I'll, I'll say Jack Lemmon. No. Okay. Though I, I would not have ma- minded that. Me neither. Uh, it was Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, I almost said that because he's yeah he's pretty featured in it. Yeah, he he's fine. he's kind of the most featured supporting yeah player. Yeah, which I mean he doesn't really do a whole lot from what I remember. I mean he doesn't have any big monologues or anything. He just he's interviewed a couple times. Right. I don't know. Hmm. I kind of wonder if that's a. I don't know. Well, maybe this is a bigger discussion that I I don't want to wade into too much, but I kind of wonder if that is a kind of like, uh, uh, not Oscar bait performance, but like the Academy wanting to nominate him because of the character's homosexuality kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking like I was early wondering 90s. that too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. We may never know. Um, <laughs> when you go and look at the, uh, the, the ballots that were cast and, in that, uh, voting for the nominees, you, you, you might see one ballot that's like a magic ballot. It goes into <laughs> seven different <laughs> places. <sighs> um, so, so yeah, so to kind of feed into that, the courtroom scene, honestly, I loved it. Um, yeah. Like I said, I, I'm a I'm a sucker for a good courtroom scene, and like it felt like Costner was holding back throughout the rest of them. It felt like he forgot how to act for the majority of the movie, <laughs> and he was saving it for that. Um, it's it's like they filmed that scene in the first couple of days of shooting, and then he accidentally bumped his head and forgot how to act, and they filmed the rest of the movie. Or he was just so it. exhausted because yes. like. The the thing that I kept thinking about when I was watching that, he gives the closing speech, and it lasts for a good, like, ten minutes or yeah. so. It's just a complete, un, I think, an uninterrupted monologue of yeah. just, these are the facts, this is blah, 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 mm-hmm. you know, closing argument like what lawyers do. Yeah. Um, and it just lasted forever. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know. Maybe he just got tired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I can only imagine like how long that speech must have been on the script. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a good speech, too. Like, it's mm-hmm. for as, as faulty as I feel like the writing was in the movie in terms of dialogue and pacing and, and the uh, just the overall, you know, writing of the movie. <laughs> but as, as much as I felt like it wasn't um, that well done in most of the movie, it, you know, it does pack a good punch in, in the uh, climactic courtroom scene. So I do appreciate that. Yeah. Um, did this movie change your perspective on the JFK assassination or make you want to learn more? <laughs> yeah, it kind of did. Okay. Um, the biggest thing that I will remember about this, um, I think is, uh, I think they say the, like yeah. the FBI findings or whatever are due to be unsealed in 2029. Yeah. Something like, like 2028 or nine or something. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I'm living for now. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, after the year we've had, I feel like they should just release them now. Yeah, why not? Um, I mean, they they released yeah. the info about UFOs already, right. so <laughs> why not? Yep, yep. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not going to go on the tangent about the mon- <laughs> monoliths or anything, except to say that monoliths monoliths have been appearing on earth um and disappearing and stuff and i don't know it's like it's all kind of fun fodder for the internet and everything right um two things about it one real quick is that like i think there was one that appeared in like the desert in utah and then disappeared and then another one appeared or was placed i should say mm-hmm. in i think like romania or something and like the internet's having fun with it on one hand uh i have to question if our listener, Robert in Utah, is responsible for it. <laughs> um, and the second thing is that I've reached a point, we're recording this December 3rd, 2020, I've reached a point with this year and everything that's happened and everything where I'm like, you know, I I love the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> so yeah. that's obviously what I think about when I see those those and everything. But I'm just like... Honestly, at this point, I I fucking hope it's aliens. <laughs> I really right. do. Like, just let's do it. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. So I don't know. It it uh uh JFK. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it didn't. I don't know if it necessarily changed my opinion of it. Um, I forgot how we got onto the tangent about the models. Um. I don't remember if I interrupted you or... No, I, I don't think you did. Okay. So, um, yeah. I, I will say the I... So, I don't think I have ever seen the Zapruder film, like, in detail, like what oh, they show yeah. here. And the times, the several times that they show... Yes. The moment of impact, that was... Oof. fucking gruesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if I want to see that anymore. <laughs> Me neither. Me neither. Um, yeah, I, I've seen, I've seen that footage before and it's, it never. Right. Like I've yeah. seen, I've seen the, the distant video. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I don't know if that's the Zapruder film, but, uh, yeah, I've seen like the distant, you know, but nothing like that. That yeah. is for sure. Yep. Um, does it make you interested in reading and or watching the miniseries adaptation of Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three by Stephen King? Mm, I got bigger things on my list to get rid of first. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I will say 
my favorite Stephen King novel. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's because it's it's about a, a teacher who goes back in time to save JFK. Yeah. Um, it's God. It's such a good book. Tower anyway. Junkies Pod. Yep. Yep. Tower Junkies Pod. Thank you. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, I actually did review eleven twenty two sixty three with Mike White. Um, okay. On there. So check that out. Um. So. We've reached the point where I think we're done talking about JFK. So, first up, thumbs up or thumbs down? I'll say thumbs up. Nice. Okay. Hesitant thumbs up. Yeah. Um. Uh, I think I'm going to do the same this is this is one of the toughest ones <laughs> like i i'm very very close to doing thumbs down yeah and i'm i i just think it's a well-made movie it makes its arg- its argument convincingly uh it's fun to see all those actors showing up yeah um <laughs> yeah I, I agree. And I think without, if, if the courtroom scene at the end didn't deliver as much as it did for me, is this would have been a resounding thumbs down for me. Right. Yeah. Like it would, it would not have passed, passed the smell test with me. Um, but I think the, the power of that and the resonance that it has for me today in 2020 as a viewer, like that attachment that I gained from it, or that connection that I made with it, that unexpected connection, um, saved it from a thumbs down because the writing throughout most of it and the interpersonal conflicts and everything was just, I mean, it was bordering on just, it was bordering on really bad for me. Uh Um, but those, those things kind of saved it. Yeah. Okay. And I still wonder, (laughs) Kevin Costner, (laughs) Is he a good actor? <laughs> is he an actor? I don't know. Um, I, I don't know what other... Well, I I know I've seen mm-hmm. him in other stuff. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head what I have seen him in. Yeah. That I would be able to render a verdict on that. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, I've never been like a big... I, I haven't been a Costner head yeah. um, before, but... I mean, this was just, it was weird. Um, it was weird for me how strongly I disliked this performance. Hmm. But I mean, I mean, he's, I mean, ugh, I mean, he, he's done a lot of stuff, obviously. Yeah. Um, recently he was in Hidden Figures, Molly's Game. He was in The Untouchables, Feel the Dreams, Waterworld, <laughs> um, <laughs> The Bodyguard, Bull Durham. Yeah, he's been in a lot of stuff. Um, I really was hoping that when watching this movie, I was really hoping that it would be, um, I was looking up to see if the movie 13 Days was available to stream anywhere. Okay. Um, but it's, it's not, um, cause I really wanted to see that. Uh, Kevin Costner plays someone in that movie, but it's about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, so did you say, thumbs up or thumbs down hesitant thumbs up hesitant thumbs up okay and now the question which i feel like we may institute our new um (laughs) uh 
uh, segment or whatever for, for this. But Ben, were you to make a great movies list, would JFK be included on your great movies list? I don't think it would. I have very little desire to see this movie again. And I think there are better movies out there that deal with conspiracies and obsession. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, like you said, Zodiac, I mean, Zodiac is the better version of this concept than, than just about anything else that I can, that I can think of. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, it would also not be on a great movies list for me. I think I could see myself revisiting it at some point, but begrudgingly. Um, so it is what it is. I didn't take to it as much as I would have liked to. It does have its high points, but not a great movie for me. Now, Ben, you pitched this idea. Um, you went out to a field of dreams <laughs> and you pitched this idea like a bull Durham. Um, and when I, when I, when I read this idea that you had, I mean, tears were just flowing like it was a water world. Um, and, um, anyway, so, uh, you spent days drafting this draft days was another one of his movies. Anyway, so your idea was that if we don't put this on a great movies list, what movie would we replace it with? Or what movie would we put in its stead? Yeah. Um, so Ben, do you want to talk about this idea and pitch what your, um, uh, replacement would be. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you said it pretty well. I mean, we, you know, it, it doesn't, what we replace it with, I guess, doesn't necessarily have to relate to the film in question. Mm -hmm. Uh, it can just be anything really, I guess. And I wanted to, I don't remember if we talked about this over text or not, but, um, we don't really have any parameters. Like it doesn't have to relate to it or anything, but should we set this precedent now that it can't be on Ebert's great movies list, whatever the replacement is? Yeah. Okay. That makes is sense. Is that implied by it? Yeah, I think so. Okay, cool. So what would you replace JFK with? Um, I have a couple ones that I have thought about. Um, but one, I, I, I need to double check this, mm -hmm. but I am pretty sure there are no Michael Mann movies on this list. Oh, and he's a, a high up there director for me. Mm -hmm. So I'll say uh, Michael Mann's very first film, Thief. Oh, interesting. Okay, I've from, never seen it. I think 1981, available on HBO Max right now. Nice. Check it out. Robert in Utah can agree. <laughs> does 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 he? Does, I, was he uh, in it? <laughs> uh, I so he he gifted me a Amazon gift card at one point, and oh yeah, I gifted him one, and I was like, hey, if you have any of that leftover, check out Thief. It's really great, and he nice. watched it and said, yeah, it's it's awesome. Nice. 
That's awesome. And, uh, yeah, Thief, directed by Michael Mann, 1981. Uh, plot summary is Frank is an expert professional safecracker specialized in high-profile diamond heists. He plans to use his ill-gotten income to retire from crime and build a nice life for himself, complete with a home, wife, and kids. To accelerate the process, he signs on with a top gangster for a big score. To be completely honest, this movie has not been on my radar. I don't know. It's on my watch list on Letterboxd. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, that's cool. I'll have to check that out. Starring James Caan. Nice. Pretty cool. Nice. Um, cool. Uh, to be clear, we are not going to review these. Oh, right. Yes, right? we should make that clear. <laughs> yeah. But still check them out. Yeah. Sweet. Let us know what you think. Cool. And uh, for my replacement, because it's not going to be on my great movies list either, um, you know, I didn't give it much thought. <laughs> <laughs> but given your con- the connection you made in the review, I've got to say Zodiac would be a good replacement. It's not on Ebert's great movies list. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a much better exploration of the concepts that JFK like flirted with in, uh, in the movie or not JFK flirted with, uh, although JFK certainly flirted with people. Didn't <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, so, uh, yeah, the concepts in, in that, and David Fincher is just incredible. So, um, I would Check say Zodiac. we might be talking about him soon. Ooh, yes, we might. <laughs> yes. Um, and, uh, Zodiac is available to stream on Amazon Prime and Netflix as of this recording. Um, so yeah, that is our review of JFK. And we are going to go ahead and go into our next segment for this episode. Um, right now, after the stinger from the theme music that I do. This movie goes through some pretty predictable paces about their forbidden love, but I was never really very interested in the characters in Blade Runner. I didn't find it convincing. Instead, what impressed me in this film were the special effects, the wonderful use of optical trickery to show me a gigantic imaginary Los Angeles, which in the vision of this movie has been turned into sort of a futuristic Tokyo. performance, and Fargo is the best movie the Farm Brothers have ever made. A quirky, infectious... Okay, and so to... uh, round or finish up the the second segment for this um episode of the ebert's great movies list review series on obsessiveviewer.com on the obsessive viewer podcast presented by obsessiveviewer.com is 2001's Mulholland Drive directed by David Lynch the plot summary is blonde Betty Elms has only just arrived in Hollywood to become a movie star when she meets an enigmatic brunette with amnesia Meanwhile, as the two set off to solve the second woman's identity, filmmaker Adam Kesher runs into ominous trouble while casting his latest project. Um, this movie is not available to stream really anywhere. <laughs> yeah. So, kind of a bummer. But, uh, but yeah, this was an interesting pick. Uh, this was, this was Ben's pick. Ben, do you want to talk about the kind of, rationale between uh behind behind picking Mulholland Drive um well I just I wanted to do something recent because most of what we have been doing has been older stuff um so that was basically it and actually you technically picked it I gave you you a couple 
options to pick from. And you what were the other one. options you gave me? Do you remember? Um, loss in translation was one of them. Oh yeah. Um, I want to say Babel might have been one of them. Yeah, Babel definitely was one of them. Okay. Uh, so I, I can't remember the other one, mm-hmm. but uh, maybe Eternal Sunshine. No. Possibly, I don't know. Um, so yeah, uh, this was you. This was my doing. It. Yeah, <laughs> and I think the reason that I picked it out of those options was specifically because I'm not a fan of David Lynch. I just. I I remember watching The Elephant Man like a year or two ago for the podcast with Tiny, mm-hmm. and I don't really remember much about it. I don't remember how I felt about it, honestly. I think it was – I felt like it was more accessible than I thought it would be, and that, that was something. Um, and I appreciated the, the uniqueness of it, but other than that, David Lynch as a as a filmmaker does not really do it for me. <laughs> And has never really gotten like he's not a, a filmmaker who excites me or interests me even like I've never seen Twin Peaks. And by all accounts, this seems exactly like what a Twin Peaks viewing would be like Mulholland Drive does, um, which I think Mulholland Drive was originally a pilot that was going to be a spinoff of it or something like that. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, like they filmed a, he filmed a pilot episode that was like an hour and a half long yeah i forget when yeah. twin peaks came out i think it was mid uh, early 1990 mid-90s. Okay. okay yeah so he he made the pilot episode of what would have been a spinoff or something um and then i think abc or somewhere passed on it and then he eventually made it into a movie which was mahalan drive in 2001 um i saw this movie in high school and I, when, when that happens, a peek behind the curtain and into my insanity, um, <laughs> when I, when I like, when I've seen a movie, when I watch a movie today and I go to log it on Letterboxd, I'll log it as, you know, I'll rewatch if I've seen it before. And most of the time that's, that has no hiccups or anything. With this, I remember watching Mulholland Drive in high school Watching it now, I didn't remember anything about this movie <laughs> except for a few things. And so I, I logged it as a first time viewing because, you know, um, so don't, don't come after me or whatever. But yeah, so, so, so Ben, how do you feel about Mulholland Drive? And I'll talk about my feelings afterwards. Um, I am f- sort of torn on it. Um, I just watched it for the first time a couple months ago. Nice. Um and I I enjoyed it. Uh although there were parts of it that I didn't totally love or loved as much as I felt like I should have. Um though I I remember the feeling of like as soon as it was over I I wanted to watch it again. Mm-hmm. Um yeah for reasons that we'll get into in spoilers. Right. Um, but, uh, there, there are definitely like it, it definitely takes a while to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, this second viewing for me, that, that def that feeling was definitely still there. Okay. So that feeling of having a hard time getting into it. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Or, 
I mean, I, I was, I was paying attention to the little things a little bit more this time around. Um, but it's still, there's, there's still some moments that I feel like didn't totally need to be in there. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm kind of like you. I don't know how I feel about David Lynch because I, this is the only movie of his that I've seen. Okay. Um, I had planned or at least wanted to watch um, Eraserhead. Uh, that one's on HBO Max. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to watch that and or uh, Blue Velvet because mm -hmm. I know those are two of his more or equally well-known movies. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't get around to him. So this is the only movie of his that I've seen. I did uh, get forced to watch Twin Peaks a couple of years ago oh, yeah. by my wife, who I love very much. <laughs> um, and just, uh, I didn't care for it. Okay. So I I feel kind of how you do. I, I will say I... Most definitely will watch the David Lynch version of Dune before the new one comes out. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that's just my experience with David Lynch. So I, I don't know if the rest of his movies are like this or if this is kind of a unique thing, but there, there are definite shades of, uh, Twin Peaks and Mulholland Drive. Yeah. There was, so we'll, we'll do non-spoilers and then I'll put it like there's a timestamp in the show notes for spoilers. So this movie, I, uh, so the, the first scene that we see, the first shot of it is this weird kind of ambiguous, like almost sixties kind of like dance music kind of thing. That's yeah. against like a sock hop kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. Against like, nothing a background of nothing and it's it's so weird and like i when that when that happened <laughs> i was watching and i was like oh fuck this is gonna be a long <laughs> two and a half hours yeah and so like i went into it with that kind of grudge against it like this is this is like i went in expecting it to be a slog like i knew like i was aware of david lynch's proclivities as a filmmaker and i was aware that his style does not mesh with my viewing pleasures and did you see was it yeah did you see that weird short film that he did like a year or two ago where he's interrogating a monkey about a murder on a train or something no i haven't yeah uh, i i don't know if i will or not Duh, biased opinion <laughs> i'd say skip it um okay like, the internet went crazy over it, saying, like, oh, this is such a weird thing. And I'm like, right. yeah, it's a weird thing. <laughs> um, and, wa like, I watched it. I, th I don't remember how long it was and everything. But, like, I was watching I was like, I don't like this. Um, yeah. Uh, so, watching Mulholland Drive, um, non-spoiler. So, this is a surreal, weird, dreamlike movie. And I appreciate that level of commitment to this ephemeral world that he's building through these characters interactions and everything the problem that i had with it 
for the majority of the movie, and I find this interesting too, that um, I have similar issues with both movies that we're doing in this episode. Mm-hmm. The majority of the movie, I was ready to count off and, and just be done. Like this is, <laughs> I had, I had preemptively written in my notes a thing that I'm not going to say because I didn't end up feeling it, but I'm going to save it for a later episode that we do in case I have a strong opinion about something. So kind of Hmm. keep that in your pocket. Um, (laughs) So I'm not going to say it now, but I will say that I just, it was a struggle for me to get through this movie. (laughs) And toward the end, when everything kind of unravels and, and comes back together, I was more into it, and we'll talk about that in spoilers, but everything before that, the ephemeral world thing, the the weird non like the the weird um almost soap opera esque or soapy yeah nineties TV acting and performing was just so off putting and weird to me. Mm-hmm. Um I did appreciate the contrast of that in, in contrast to like the scenes of, of like the scene of her audition where like, that's like the big, like pat that's like one of the few big passionate moments. And I, I like the idea that it's like, okay, this performance that she's giving is the most passion we see in the movie. And like, there's something there, but it's also just so ill-defined that I'm, or maybe I'm too stupid to really <laughs> articulate like why that was satisfying to me, but it was just, I don't know. It's such it's such a weird movie for me. Um how yeah, how do you feel about Yeah, it? there there is definitely a lot of uh, almost weird for weird's sake. Yeah. Um and again, that's that's a lot of Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Like in Twin Peaks there's a character, a woman who is who carries a, around a log everywhere she goes and okay. treats it like a pet. Um Okay. There's nothing quite that weird in this, mm. but like, there's a cowboy who shows up <laughs> once or twice. Yeah. And why does it need to be a cowboy? Uh, yeah. other than just being like visually memorable. Mm. Um, I was so certain that that was William Sadler, but it's some other actor. Mm. But I was so sure that it was him, but it wasn't. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but, yeah, I, I I get what you're saying about like the the hokey like '90s mm-hmm. aspect of it, and I I did write so two things about that. One, I don't know if Naomi Watts' performance is great or terrible in this. <laughs> Um, cause there are, the there Costner are, effect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but there are moments like, like you said, that audition scene and basically everything after that where mm. she's great. Yeah. And she's convincing and powerful and, uh, emotional and it's, it's really well done. And then like everything before that, she's just kind of like wandering around with, big eyes and her mouth open like she's seeing the the world for the first time and i don't know especially like once you once everything comes together in the end and you think back on it you don't really understand why she was like that 
Um, yeah, I have I have some theories on that that we can get into later. But okay, but it also it's such a it's such a such an opposite effect from what it, like they're they're so they're so opposing in, yeah. in the way that it is. It's it's hard to parse out exactly what the meaning is behind it. But I have some theories on that we can talk about. But later, the other thing I was gonna say, and I uh, to to get back to your '90s kind of soap opera thing. Mm-hmm. One of the notes that I, I legit took while I was watching it last night is that the the dialogue seems almost like wooden slash robotic, and it reminds yeah. me there's a there's a semi famous scene in the room where yeah. uh, Tommy Wiseau goes into this like flower shop, and the way <laughs> that the, those lines are delivered is just so like. Acting 101 almost. It really, yeah. And there, there's a scene in this. Um, it's like, it's near the beginning where like, uh, Naomi Watts is like coming out of the airport or something and she's talking with, I think her aunt. Mm-hmm. And the way that those lines are delivered, it just kind of reminded me of that scene in the room. Uh, yes. And, <laughs> I wonder, like, I, and I had a similar reaction. Like, I, I kind of really, I, I made a couple of other connections to the room that I can talk about in spoilers, <laughs> but one specific one. But we'll talk about that later. But I, it makes me kind of wonder. Like, I don't think Tommy Wasau Wasau was a uh, particularly brilliant filmmaker <laughs> like the room is garbage the room is a terrible movie made by someone who does not know how to make a movie essentially and that's kind of what the cult charm of it is and everything but watching this movie watching Mulholland Drive makes me wonder if there is some kind of like stronger connection that was drawn like like a stronger influence on Tommy Wiseau when he made the room, because there are some elements of this movie that feel very much room esque. And right. It's just, it's kind of, kind of weird to me, but I don't know. I, I just had to look this up cause I couldn't remember when the room came I out. I just but did too. Yeah. <laughs> it was like what? 2003. I think? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know, but it just has that. I don't know with Mulholland drive. It's, it's hard to talk. I have I have theories on why it has that aesthetic and everything, but it just didn't work for me. And, yeah. and the weird, disconnected things that come into play later in in different ways, but not in pivotal enough ways, just didn't do it for me. Like I made notes throughout it. Like, um, uh, it's like. <laughs> Uh, ambiguity and intrigue for no other reason than to drive the narrative. There's no anchor for the story aside from the mystery, but it's just not compelling enough to hook me. Um, and there are too many fronts to the mystery. J- Justin Thoreau's, uh, director storyline, the whole accident that gives, uh, Rita the amnesia, mm-hmm. the whole dynamic between Rita and Betty, uh, Mark Pellegrino's whole thing with murdering those people in the, in the, in the building and mm-hmm. just, I don't know. It it was so disorienting and just didn't hook me at all. And uh yeah. Yeah. I uh I don't disagree with you cuz yeah, I mean we'll 
we keep saying this, but we will absolutely get into uh, the the last Specific. probably forty five minutes or so of this are at least I think are incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are just really compelling and really uh, dramatic and really interesting and really well done. Yeah. Um. So when I was watching it this time. And I couldn't, I, I didn't remember exactly every little detail of the end, but I just kind of remembering a little bit about what was to come and like what I should and shouldn't look out for. I was wondering, like, does the, um, what's the way to put this? Does the lack of urgency, I guess, in the first half or whatever, does that make up or does, does the end of it make up for the lack of urgency in the first half Hmm. or I don't know. So he, it's a, it's a very, very different tone for, for both segments. Like there, this movie is separated into like two distinct sections. Yeah. And yeah, it, I don't know if the payoff, uh, if, if the payoff of the ending, which I too think is, is bordering on, on brilliant storytelling in in my opinion. Um, I don't know if it's enough to make up for lack of interest and lack of coherent anything in the beginning, in the, in the majority of the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll have to talk more about that in spoilers. But um I will say I thought it was really interesting that we watched this movie so soon after watching eight and a half. I um, was kind of thinking about that too. Yeah. yeah. That and Vertigo. Yeah. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> like in my head I was I kept thinking like eight and a half was such a better fucking movie <laughs> than this. Um <laughs> but yeah, I just thought that was interesting, and I, it made me kind of wish that Justin Thoreau's character was was more pivotal in the movie. But right, um, I will say that this movie confirmed that he's like he's a really good actor. <laughs> like he he's weird in this, but I don't know. He I I like him a lot as an actor. So okay, yeah. Um, anything else to talk about in non spoilers? Should we talk about the the whole dream? Because uh, pretty much all that I have, and uh, I I didn't get a chance to reread the Ebert essay mm-hmm. on this. I didn't get but a chance to read it. Either. What I remember him saying about it is how well it uh, conveys the feeling of being in a dream. Yeah. And that was definitely one thing that I was more cognizant of this time mm-hmm. is just the dreamlike structure and how not everything necessarily makes total sense. Right. And I, in that regard, I think David Lynch does a really good job of making this feel like a dream. Mm-hmm. Um, and, not just using that as an excuse to just 
do a bunch of dumb, weird shit. Right. Uh, though, like I said, he does do some weird shit mm-hmm. for unclear purposes, but right. there are much worse versions of the whole, this was all a dream yeah. cons- concept, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's true. It, to create that type of aesthetic in a movie is, is difficult. Like it, it is, it's an achievement in and of itself. Yeah. Um, I did appreciate it and I feel like he did nail that. He did nail what he was going for. And I feel like if I revisit this movie down the road with that context, down the drive, <laughs> right. <laughs> that was another thing. I, <laughs> I kind of like, it would have been cool if we had just happened to, uh, match this up with eight and a half because that would have been an interesting double feature. Um, but then another thing would just it would have been fun to do like Mulholland Drive and Sunset Boulevard. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. So anyway, um, Sunset Boulevard is in this movie, right? It is. Okay. It, or is, is that a different movie one? or or in the list? No the 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 name Sunset Boulevard or the there's like one the diner or whatever is oh. on Sunset Boulevard. I think maybe I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, but, but creating that, that feel, that, that weirdness is, uh, a talent that he, he did well. It just didn't captivate me. So, okay. Until the ending, and then we can talk about it in spoilers. Okay. Yep. Uh, should we go into spoilers? Sure. Okay. So that is our non spoiler talk about Mulholland Drive. We're going to go into spoilers for it. Um, I'll play a little clip or something to separate it. Um, yeah. So stand by for spoilers. If you don't want to hear us spoil Mulholland Drive, until which is almost it. 20 years old. I, at this I know, point. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so check it out and then come back. But yeah, spoilers on for Mulholland Drive. Coffee. Ah, well, I'll just drink this warm cream. Oh. I'm not following you. Burns is you. Burns is you. Huh? Look at Burns is you. So yeah, um, the kind of reveal that this world that we've lived in is is a dream. Like that is in and of itself, it is a hokey premise like the the it was all a dream is a tired kind of idea yeah but bringing us into the dream world not telling us that it is a dream world and then revealing to us that it's all a dream world and that the characters that we have come to know aren't the characters that they actually are they have different lives is ballsy (laughs) (laughs) to say the least but honestly i I was, this was the most captivating the movie became for me is the, the reveal that it's a dream and, and kind of playing catch up with the relationship drama and the breakup, I guess, or the obsession and, and seeing all of these little pieces that played out earlier in the movie in different contexts in the dream and seeing how they fit together in the real world. I thought like that was, 
that was just kind of brilliant. And it just, it, it really kind of struck me as, as something that, uh, I really appreciated it. So mm-hmm. yeah. How did that, how did that recontextualizing of the movie, uh, make you feel when you first saw it? And then did you further kind of work out the beginning part of the movie better when you had that context upon reviewing it or rewatching it? Yeah. Um, I, the, the slow reveal of, uh, Naomi Watts's character and just, you, the, the first half or so she's, she's so like friendly and Mm -hmm. you're, you're on her side. And then you slowly reveal that she's just this monster who, has kind of set this whole thing into motion. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was really well done. And I really, uh, I really appreciated that. And that was, Mm -hmm. yeah, that, that was another, uh, that was at least part of why I wanted to rewatch it as soon as I finished it the first time, um, to see if there were any kind of clues about like who she really was. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Do do you see it as because I didn't read up on the interpretations of the ending? My interpretation of it is, oh, let me ask you this: Did you see it as her being obsessed with Camilla, played by Laura Harden, Harding, uh, Herring? I don't know. Um, and uh, Rita, um, her being obsessed with her, or she would? Well, no, no, no. My my interpretation is that they had a relationship. Mm-hmm. She broke up with her and she's dealing with the breakup. Can't deal with the breakup. So she is enlisting Mark Pellegrino to murder her. Yeah. And silencio. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. How did you piece together the, the ending of the movie and, and everything? The way that I thought of it was so Naomi Watts and Laura Herring, uh, were lovers, Mm. at least. It's not totally clear to me if they were actually in a relationship or if they were just kind of each other's, like, side pieces or something. Right. Um, and then, yeah, she's, she's obsessed with her because she can't have her. And that is why she orders her to be murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, the details around that, like the whole, this is the girl line, the details about that and the significance of that, that I was a little less clear on. Yeah. And, um, like, uh, Justin Thoreau's mother and how she plays into the first half of the movie that didn't totally make sense to me, but maybe I missed something. Yeah. I, I think his mother was in the dream. She was Betty's aunt, right? His mother was like the, the landlord in the apartment complex. Oh, cause she kind of yeah. like lets her into the apartment. Mm hmm. Um, and there's that scary woman who comes to the door and she kind of like leads her away. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to need to watch it. Again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Huh. Yeah, I mean, there there are so many pieces of that of the the real world that fit in with the the dream world of of the movie in unique ways that in the moment I pieced together pretty clearly, <laughs> but now there's a lot that's that's failing me. Right. But it it's something that feel that feels pretty uh impressive to me in any in any case that it I feel like it for as as weird and crazy as those first two hours were those last thirty minutes put them together in, in a way that felt uh pretty strong uh against my better judgment honestly because I, I I did wasn't really liking the movie at all um, yeah. but like my my review on letterbox I put uh Dave Lynch took us on a cold and surreal surreal journey that demands our attention despite a lack of a coherent storytelling and the most the most bare elements of compelling story then with 20 to 30 minutes to go he pivots to create an entirely different story out of every surreal puzzle piece he's laid out before us and he makes them fit um yeah and, and then part of it is I may have just typed myself into actually enjoying it enough to bump the rating from 2.5 to 3 stars <laughs> Um, yeah, and the thing that, that, I, <laughs> the thing that made me think of The Room, that made me think that, did he, did Tommy Wiseau watch this movie and want to just kind of pay homage to it or rip mm-hmm. it off? The, the scene where she kills herself. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, it feels <laughs> so much like that, that's the ending of The Room. Like, The Room is the ending of Mulholland Drive. It's, it's weird. Right. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Yeah. I, I thought you were going to say the weird sex scenes. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. were, I guess, weren't as weird. Right. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, the gratuitous nudity, I guess I should yeah. say. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know what it, I don't know if it's, um, I don't know if it's because I saw this movie when I was like 15 <laughs> <laughs> and I've only now just watched it at 34. But the sex scene seemed pretty tame to me, like just kind of chased. I, like they weren't that gratuitous. Like the most gratuitous um, sexual scene is the masturbation scene. Yeah. Um, which and that's is, almost kind of scary. Exactly, <laughs> and that's more about the emotion of it. Yeah. Um, and everything, and you can really feel Naomi Watts's pain. Um. In that moment, so so yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and uh, like the whole like Mark Pellegrino, I I like him as an act, like he he played a very pivotal role in Lost in the, in the later seasons, but his role in this movie is is maybe the part of the movie that made it unravel for me a little bit worse or a little bit harder because it just felt like so perfunctory and when they're piecing together everything in the ending, when they're piecing together, when we're seeing the little bits and pieces that are recontextualized from the dream segments and everything, his inclusion at the diner and him being like the guy that she's paying to kill her Mm -hmm. and everything it, that just felt like, so that felt more out of left field than anything else in the movie to me. And it just felt just a little weak to me. So I don't know. How'd you feel about it? I think I have a, uh, stronger contender for out of left field. Oh, and uh, speaking of lost, uh, 
I'm I'm blanking on his character's name in Lost. He was like, I think he was one of the Dharma Initiative oh, yes. guys. Patrick Fischler. Yes. Yes, that I, I I will agree. Yep. I do not understand how that scene fits into the rest of the movie. Wholeheartedly it's, agree. It's just uh, a scene with him talking about another guy who I don't think comes back at all. No, I don't. No, I don't think so. And huh. yeah, they're they're just talking for a minute or two, and then then the the absolute scariest moment right. with with the scary lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I, I don't know because that was kind of at the back of my mind, mm-hmm. uh, just waiting for like he he does show up again. In that scene with Mark Pellegrino where yeah, he's... Yeah, he's just standing at the counter. Yeah. Like, in the real world, he's the guy that she looks at at the counter. Yeah. And everything. And, I mean, I guess the implication is that he is working with the hitman or he's going to be the one to pull off the hit or something. I don't know what it is. But in the dream world, in the beginning of the movie, he's saying that sh- that he he's at the diner in... I think he's sitting where he's either sitting on the side that she's sitting at in the ending or I don't know. But anyway, I want to say that he's sitting in Mark Pellegrino's seat. But anyway, he's saying that like he keeps seeing this man. He has a recurring thing where he sees this man and it means death for him or something like that. Hmm. So, I mean, I, I guess I get it that in, and that's one of the things that I really kind of appreciate about the movie overall is that it's this, very unique journey through this it's going to sound so hokey to say it but this tortured mind mm-hmm. of Naomi Watts's character who has pulled off or has orchestrated this horrific thing and it's her mind dealing with the ramifications of that and i think the issue that i have or the the disconnect that i have is that it's too rooted in mystery it's the, it holds way too much back from the audience uh-huh. in the in the uh in in the hopes of having a, a payoff that is compelling in and of itself but is ultimately too too held back like the like the, the pieces are held back too much to be like more satisfying than they could be or okay i, I don't know than they end up being okay yeah yep um anything else about this movie <laughs> Uh, I don't think so. I mean, we could talk about how it did at the Oscars. But, oh, yeah. Uh, how did it do at the Oscars, actually? Um, Nominated for one Oscar. Was it Tommy uh, Lee Jones? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we didn't talk about the weirdest piece of casting, in my opinion, or the most random thing. Billy Ray Cyrus is in this movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was another scene that feels totally unnecessary yeah uh i guess i guess it was just to build justin thoreau's character a little bit more but i guess uh, i don't know maybe yeah. it's maybe it's to show his achy breaky heart <laughs> right <laughs> uh oh so the the only academy award nomination was david lynch for director okay hmm. so uh, this you... was the year that uh, A Beautiful Mind won. Okay, sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Speaking uh, of movies where it's all a dream. Right. I was going to say, because um, 
uh wait is a beautiful mind is that ron howard yeah yeah i was gonna i was gonna launch us into a tangent i was gonna ask how bad is oh the hillbilly elegy should i bother watching it <laughs> uh it's bad okay um there is a very funny scene that is not supposed to be funny where amy adams gets high on painkillers and roller skates down a hospital hallway oh no okay (laughs) check that out okay um Hmm. yeah that's all i'll say i i will uh I will look into that. Um, Maybe don't make it a super high priority before right. the end of the year, but <laughs> uh, if you got an extra, what, almost two hours, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. Anyway. Yeah. So overall, I I accept that this is a movie, <laughs> that Mulholland Drive <laughs> is a movie that people love that that there are people that love this movie and more power to them i am lukewarm on it i appreciate the storytelling to an extent and i appreciate the uniqueness of the filmmaking but i think at the end of the day it's, it just wasn't my cup of tea it just wasn't okay. for me um overall thoughts and thumbs up or thumbs down i would give it a thumbs up nice yeah. nice uh well, yeah, I, I think I'm going to go with mm, this <laughs> very, very, very barely a thumbs up. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm going to, yeah, thumbs up. Okay. Um, just, just barely. So, yep. Uh, would this make your list of great movies? I think it would. Nice. And for the reason that kind of like what you were alluding to, it Mm -hmm. doesn't offer up a clear answer. And I think that's what that's the main appeal, I guess, to a lot of people, including myself is Mm -hmm. there are a lot of different interpretations to a lot of it. Um, and like even now, like even seeing it a second time and knowing that they're the the first half of the movie doesn't totally clear up uh after knowing even after knowing what is coming later, I still want to see it again just to nice. just in case I did miss something or uh I mean, like I said, the the last the last half or so, last 45 minutes or so are incredible. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's worth getting through the first, what, hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes. Yeah. To get to that. Yeah. And, and again, I think that that similar to JFK, I think that those last, that last 30, 45 minutes is what saved it from a thumbs down. From oh me. yeah. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, it won't make a great movies list for me. And I do have a couple of picks that I would replace it with. That I will go ahead and pick the 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 movie that I feel strongly toward. And it it is also kind of a similar type of movie, um, to an extent. But I would replace it with was this wait, was this the same year? 
let me double check real quick um, and vamp a little bit on the mic because no, okay, a movie that came out a year before Mulholland Drive, 2000's Memento. Okay, I would I would replace it with. Um, I just think that that's a that's a tighter constructed narrative and uh, more rewarding viewing experience for me. Okay, um, yeah, one that Roger Ebert. Did not totally love, if I remember right. I will have to look up his review. Okay. Interesting. Um, I like it. Nice. Me me too. I mean, that was one of my, like, favorite movies Mm -hmm. around the time that I watched Mulholland Drive for the first time. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. So, I think that will do it for this special segment on the Ebert's Great Movies list. Um, I think we'll forego Potpourri. um, But... We do have business to attend to. We need to pick the movies that we will review in the next installment of our Ebert's Great Movies List uh, review series. And I think we're going to shoot for having this recorded and edited in January. So I don't know if you have made your selection based on the fact that it'll be a new year or a new administration <laughs> or a new... I. A new era. A new era for the world. (laughs) Um, But Ben, what did you have in mind for your pick for our next installment of this review series? Well, sorry to burst your bubble, but this has nothing to do with anything. It's just a cool movie that I think you're going to really love. Nice. Uh, So I'm going to pick, it's called Lay Samurai. Oh, okay. It's nice. by uh, directed by Jean-Pierre Melville. Mm-hmm. We have not watched any French movies yet, so nice. this one's in French from 1967. Sweet. And oh. I watched this for the first time uh, recently. Okay. Uh, I don't know when exactly, but earlier this year, uh, and thought it was really cool. So I... Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what you think. Nice. Oh man. Okay. So I'm excited about this because I I know not much about it. Should we read the plot summary? Do we read the plot summaries? I think we do. I okay. I, yeah, I I can read it. Okay. Cool. All right. So, Lay Samurai, a dedicated professional killer, lies fully clothed in his monochromed apartment, then goes off to a day at the office, stealing a car, killing a man in a nightclub setting up an ironclad alibi and outsmarting the police. Two problems, his anonymous employer doesn't, employers don't trust him, and he's left one witness behind, a beautiful jazz pianist. Nice. All right, and La Samurai, La Samurai, this is going to be fun, <laughs> um, La Samurai is available to stream on the Criterion channel and on HBO Max. Um, and, so that is and awesome. Canopy. And canopy. Nice. Um, awesome. Okay. So my pick, it's funny. I can't remember if this was on mic or off mic, but, um, I had, I was excited because I had three titles picked out for what I would pick for our next installment for, for my pick for it. Um, I had three specific titles for three sort of specific reasons. One, I'm not going to say what the titles are, <laughs> but um, with your pick, um, 
since his, his the, the plot summary on um letterbox says that he has like samurai instincts or something so i i've i've deleted the three picks that i have and i'm going to pick for our next installment yojimbo from 1961 oh. directed by the great akira kurosawa uh i'll read the plot summary a nameless ronin or samurai with no master, enters a small village in feudal Japan where two rival businessmen are struggling for control of the local gambling trade. Taking the name Sanjuro Kuabataki, the Ronin uh, convinces both silk merchant Tazamon, Jesus, Tazamon, <laughs> and sake merchant Takuman. Uh, to hire him as a personal bodyguard, then artfully sets in motion a full-scale gang war between the two ambitious and unscrupulous men. Uh, this movie is available to stream on HBO Max, Criterion Channel, and I want to say Canopy as well. I think so too. Yeah. Okay, and it is. I mean, it's one. Of, we'll we'll talk about it. <laughs> it's it's one of my favorite Kurosawa movies. Um, and it, uh, I'm looking forward to because this will be your first Kurosawa movie, right? As of right now, yes. As of right now, okay. Uh, and it does not appear that this movie is streaming on Canopy. Ah, okay. Uh, but it is on HBO Max and Criterion Channel. Um, okay. So yeah, I think those are our picks. I thought it'd be fun. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. So we're hoping to get that done in January. So uh, look for that then. Um, uh, ben, any parting thoughts on anything that we've discussed? Anything you want to plug or anything? Uh, do you want to talk about what the latest on your Happy Madison project over at Midwest Film Journal? Um, yeah, we're we're entering a, a new era uh, <laughs> with that project. So. Uh, this past week, uh, click just posted next week is rain over me. Okay. Uh, the semi nine 11 movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, after that, Oh boy. Uh, (laughs) I think it's like, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Oh Jesus. Uh, followed by more titles along that line. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't remember exactly what, but Yeah. It'll be fun. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, check that out. I'll put links in the show notes and everything. Um, I really liked your grandma's boy, uh, write up on that. Um, that movie is dumb. It's so <laughs> dumb, but, uh, yes, it is. but yeah, uh, I'm glad that you're taking the bullet for, for the readers, uh, for, for, for readers of the series. You're welcome. Um, yep. So, all right, well, we have our assignments and I think that'll do it for this episode of the obsessive viewer. Super quick. Sorry. So I, I probably should, when we were talking about HBO max, Mm -hmm. I probably should have brought this up. So one of my favorite things about HBO max is the, they have a tab for movies that are leaving and, Movies that they just added. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I look every month at like what what is leaving so mm-hmm. I can check it out before or while I can. And there are a lot of movies that are on this list that are leaving at the end of the month. Like oh, wow. Cool Hand Luke, Bringing oh. Up Baby, Bonnie and Clyde. Damn. Um uh, Oh, 
Wait. This is not the same list that I saw the other day. Because hmm. the other day, like, Citizen Kane was on there, Casablanca, Singing oh, wow. in the Rain. Maybe huh. this is a, a Mandela effect. <laughs> right. But anyway, the, the, just those movies that I mentioned, like uh, Bringing Up Baby is great. Um mm. Bonnie and Clyde, Boogie Nights, Cool Hand Luke, Dirty Harry, uh, Giant, um, Gone uh, with the Wind, if you're into that kind of thing. Right. <laughs> uh, those, so those are all leaving HBO Max at the end of December. Wow. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah, keep your eye out on that. And uh, yeah, that will do it for this episode of The Obsessive Viewer. Um, let us know what you thought of Mulholland Drive and JFK. And uh, give us your best theories on who killed JFK. And um, it was Naomi Watts. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it. Uh, once again, check out Patreon, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. You get exclusive content. Uh, check it out. And uh, yeah, that'll do it. Thank you so much for joining us or for listening to us. And Ben, thank you for joining me on this uh, latest installment on our epic journey for Ebert's Great Movies list. Um, yeah, so that'll do it. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you, and enjoy. I need to revisit Palm Springs before I make this list because right. it's possible that that could, like, that could that could be my number one. So okay, yeah. Um, I would like yeah. There's a couple of them that are currently on my list uh, that I would like to revisit before nice. the end of the year. I don't know if I'll have time, but mm-hmm. I would like to. Which ones in particular do you have them like fresh? Um. I would like to rewatch uh Never Rarely Sometimes Always. Oh, yes. Um uh, the amount of times that you think about how you want to revisit that movie, would you say that it's never? <laughs> okay. Rarely. All right. Sometimes <laughs> or always. Uh. <laughs> The Obsessive Viewer podcast is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to ObsessiveViewer.com slash OV archive. You can also like our Facebook page and join the OV Facebook group at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer. And follow us on Twitter at Obsessive Viewer and at Obsessive Tiny. And follow our recurring co-hosts at I am Mike White, that's me, at R.A. Feckus and at Burger underscore Lurker. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. 
For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at teepublic.com, T-E-E, public.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. The theme music for The Obsessive Viewer comes courtesy of the band Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty!